I saw it. You saw what? I saw it. How many times do I have to tell you? You don't know what you're dealing with. Hey everybody, this is Tony. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Encounter Stories. As I promised in the last episode, I do have uh, another episode for you this week. Uh, This is a pretty cool UFO story. It comes from George out of Rhode Island. Uh, So I'm not even going to explain anything. I'm just going to get right into it. This one's pretty cool, so check it out. Winter 1981. I was driving from Montreal to Burlington having just attended a Bruce Springsteen concert, the River Tour. I was with three friends, and we had just crossed the border and were somewhere between St. Albans and Burlington. The stretch of Route 7, back in 1981 anyways, was quiet and dark, mostly farms and pastures and gorgeous century-old farmhouses, and offering glimpses of the broadcast sections of Lake Champlain. It was a clear and cold winter night, visibly was perfect, and Route 7 was desolate at 1 or 2 a.m., Hence, Mitch and I were doing about 90 miles per hour. Mitch was my 1973 Buick LaSalle, named after Mitch Ryder of Detroit Wheels fame, the author of the epic Springsteen Encore medley, but I digress. I saw an intermittent light in my rearview mirror for a couple of miles and assumed it was a pickup truck at a good distance behind me. Quickly, it got very close, or what I sensed was very close, and brighter, and appeared to be focused on me, directed at me, appearing to me to be right on my rear bumper. The light was overpowering, even illuminating the road in front of me. Clearly, one of Vermont's finest had not appreciated a car with Rhode Island plates boasting college stickers blasting through his zone at such a speed. I knew the ticket would be expensive, but was more concerned with the five to six cases of Molson Brader Ale stashed in the trunk. I didn't even drink the stuff, but it was not available in the U.S., and several friends requested that I grab a few cases to purge my guilt over not inviting them to the concert. I pulled over and turned off the ignition, expecting the white light to convert to blue or red police lights, but the light disappeared in an instant. I remember telling myself not to get out of the car, discussing it with my friend in the front seat while our dates were sort of freaking out in the back seat. So we stayed put, deciding that this was more likely a bunch of drunk rednecks looking for jollies or trouble. After a minute or so, unable to see anything in the mirror or through the rear window, I started the car up to leave. Except the car wouldn't start right away. The girls thought I was kidding. My pal grabbed a large police flashlight from the glove compartment, thinking we were going to be rumbling with a pickup truck full of Vermont's not-so-finest. I finally got the car started, and then came the big light. The light to end all lights. It was as if the sun had hitched itself to my trunk. It was made or ghost light, times a million, without a word. My friend and I got out of the car. The light was endless. Its source seemed a mile away at first, maybe more, and it moved, but not sharply. The light sort of floated to the left, then to the right, as if it were trying to make up its mind about something. It had a mind, this light. As it swayed, I saw the source. It was hard to focus on it through the light, but it was hovering over Route 7. It first seemed to be right above us, but I concluded later that it was maybe a hundred yards away. Back then, I judged short distances by theoretical golf shots. It was a pitching wedge away, maybe a nine iron. Could have been a thousand yards away. Who the hell knows? It seemed massive, stretching from the farm to the west of the road to the farm to the east. It had no wings, best as I could see. It was square, 
and then round, and then something in between. As the light shifted, so did its shape, or at least its discernible shape. The light radiated from its mass. It was not a spotlight, it was part of its being. And it didn't make a sound, nothing, nada. I beckoned our female friends to get out of the car, and in the eight to ten seconds it took them to do so, the light and its source vanished. It didn't fly away to the north, south, east, or west. It didn't ascend to the stars on a perfect moonlit winter night. It just friggin' disappeared. One minute it was there, consuming the landscape, the next it was not. We all got back into the car, and then I got out again alone to survey what I had just seen. But the road was empty, and there were no lights. I got back into the car and joked that I hoped to the fact that we had just seen one of the greatest live acts to ever grace a rock and roll stage would not be the last in the madness that was surely our first glimpse of a UFO. No one laughed. Holy shit, I thought. We really had just seen a UFO. I was not up and I was not up until I was not up until that point in time a UFO alien enthusiast. Fox Mulder and Dana Scully did not exist. I wasn't into Star Wars or Star Trek or even the Twilight Zone. I wasn't then a huge fan of the 1970s alien movie genre, Close Encounters, Alien, Body Snatchers, Andromeda Strain, etc. The Man Who Fell to Earth was a David Bowie movie to me, not an alien movie. But on that night, after the otherworldly experience of a four-plus-hour Springsteen show, I became a believer, because whatever we saw that evening on Route 7 in northern Vermont was not of this planet. The next morning, watching TV in a small Burlington Inn, the local news reported that numerous residents had for several days been reporting strange lights in the skies in northern Vermont. UFOs? The newscaster pondered. More likely, he said, nothing more than the modern military aircraft being tested at night. You see, directly across Lake Champlain, the U.S. Air Force maintained a base in Plattsburgh, New York, which hosted Strategic Air Command, a Cold War creation. Local lore reported that in the event of a nuclear war, the Plattsburgh base was one of the top 10 likely targets of Soviet Union aggression. So what we saw that evening could very well have been some sort of experimental U.S. military aircraft which moved in all directions without making any sound and was barely detectable to the human eye. Except that it fucking wasn't. <laughs> Actually, like the end of that. Um... Yeah, so that was actually sent in from George from Rhode Island. Um, really cool story, George. I, I think that's awesome, man, that you saw that, that you experienced that with three other witnesses who I'm sure if you asked them today could uh, corroborate that. I think that's that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, you know, it's weird, man, because with all this stuff that's going on, um, you know, in the world today with UFOs kind of coming out and you know the stuff if you if you do choose to describe to to it Stephen Greer's um, theories. You know it, it could have been something that the military was testing. Um, you know as you had stated, but obviously it's it's part of like a special access project. It's not something that you know the the United States government really even knows about. Um, I feel like a lot of these um, these flights that happen where people are you know, if humans are piloting these crafts and kind of testing them out and they have harnessed the technology, they're usually doing them in very kind of desolate areas, you know, and the area that you were in seems exactly like one of those areas. 
um, you know, out in Lake Nevada, you know, over near like Area 51 and S4. If you've actually watched the Bob Lazar documentary on Netflix, um, you know, they did test flights, you know, over the Nevada desert, which is like another, you know, really desolate, bare area where there aren't a lot of people around, um, you know, and you're not going to see anything unless you know, like the flight schedule and you know where to look as Bob Lazar had kind of uh, mentioned that he had access to that information. Um, so, you know, it could have been something that was just being tested, you know, and you guys were kind of the guinea pigs to see, you know, how, um, you would react to it or, you know, what it would be like to pull up beside somebody and, and how much light they could actually produce. Um, you know, but it, there's also the possibility that it could have been something super extraterrestrial, you know, it didn't, it wasn't, didn't seem, it was like, you know, threatening. It was just following you. It threw on like this massive light, um, I think the thing that, that makes me lean more towards it being actual extraterrestrial in origin rather than, you know, a craft that was built, of, you know, as part of a special access program is that it just kind of like dematerialized or vanished. You know, um, I really don't know the ins and outs of these crafts and how they work and nobody really does, uh, you know, but something that actually, you know, emits a light that can illuminate that much land and that much space. And then all of a sudden in the instant of a second can just disappear completely out of view. You can't see anything. It goes black to complete darkness. That stuff actually really interests me. Um, so, you know, on this story, I'm definitely leading more towards something of an extraterrestrial origin rather than something that, you know, is being tested as part of a special, special access project. Um, but, um, regardless, you know, cool story, nevertheless, um, you know, I'm sure if Dan was here, you know, he would have something to say about it, but, um, I think we probably both agree that it probably is more of a, like I said, an extra extraterrestrial or I'm having a really hard time saying that word tonight. It's probably something of an extraterrestrial origin. Um, so George, I want to thank you for, um, you know, sending that story. And that was, that's really cool. Um, and I really loved reading it and, and I'm sure that our listeners would really enjoy it as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, if, if anybody has any theories as to what that, that might have been, um, you know, if they disagree with me com completely and think that it might be, you know, something other than an alien spacecraft, they might think it might be something part of a special access project, or maybe they think it's something that the military was testing. Um, you know, because you did have some interesting facts there at the end about, you know, bases that were nearby and, and so forth. So, um, yeah, man, but this was a really cool one. I, I just, this is one of those things where it's like, you know, you, <laughs> you can't really imagine it unless you were there. Uh, but I think that you did a really good job of painting the picture and, you know, you guys are all hyped up after a Springsteen concert and you're like, oh man, we can't get caught. We got the stuff in the trunk and, you know, of course, you know, this light shows up and you're like, what the hell was that? You know, and it's there. And as quick as it was there, it's, it's gone, you know? Um, but I just think it was a really great story, man. Thank you for sending it in. Um, thank you for taking the time to write it. And, um, I hope everybody enjoyed it. We will be releasing stories as we get them. If you know anybody that has a story that you think should share, or we can share on this podcast, please send that to your encounter story at gmail.com. And uh, with that being said, that pretty much does it for this episode. It was a quick one, but, you know, it's just important to get that story out there. 
um, you know, so people can hear it and enjoy it. So uh, we will catch you guys when the next episode comes out, which will be as soon as possible. All right, guys, take care.